0: Don't let them push you around down there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of, (coughs) I'm kind of fond of her. two three years back i think it was three years back at christmas time i knew that kathy had taken her wedding ring and uh she had taken it off because it needed resized and um she put it uh in her little cabinet i knew where she keeps it and kathy's never been much for jewelry and that kind of thing once in a while I'll, i'll get her a little necklace or something but it's just never been her thing and um she didn't know I was doing this, but a couple months before Christmas, because she hadn't been wearing her wedding ring for uh, several months because it needed work. And she was waiting until we had the funds to do it. Well, I snuck it out of there and went down to the, the jeweler in Colville and uh, told him what I wanted him to do. And I, I told him I wanted to surprise Kathy for Christmas. And it, was, uh, it had a diamond, the, the big one, several carrots, I'm sure, uh, the big one, and then it had two tiny little ones next to it that sort of accentuated it, and at the time I got it, back in college, and, and then had to make payments on it, and so on, uh, being a poor college student, it just had those two little diamonds, but I had this idea when I took it in, I said, this needs resized, but I'd like you to, can, can you do this? Can you add two more tiny little diamonds, the same size as these little ones? Not like the giant one that's in the middle. And uh, anyway, he said yes, I I can do that. And so we dickered a little on the price. And sure enough, he he kept it for three or four weeks, leading up to Christmas. And he added two more diamonds. And the idea was to give Kathy her ring. I put it in a nice new little box and. Wrapped it and I hid it up in the boughs of the Christmas tree. So right at the end, um, and we always, you know, we, we always say, well, what what should we get each other for Christmas? You know, that's kind of where we are. And I'll say, well, I'm my socks are getting plenty of holes in them, and so on. And that's kind of our style. So she didn't see this coming, but anyway, I hid it. And but the idea was, um, the bigger diamond. Is represents my love and devotion to Kathy. And the four now, now two added, represent our four kids and their love and uh, affection for their mom. So that was the symbolism. And that was really a fun morning. And I got to give that tour after the kids had all destroyed the house, uh, tearing open boxes and everything. But we had this sweet little moment, and I gave it to her. And the story is really not about the ring, is it? The story is about my love for Kathy and my children and their love for Kathy. That's what it was about. It wasn't about the ring. And my hope, of course, is anytime she looks down at it or adjusts it, it's a reminder that Tony loves me. That's all I wanted. Sometimes what we do, what we, what we invest in, what we give to is only a symbol. You know, you guys, I like this place. I like this sanctuary. I like the chairs and the carpet, and the ceiling fans. I like... Uh, especially, really, enjoy our new addition. And I like having access to the bathroom quickly. And as you get older and you're a male, you appreciate that all the more. (laughs) Um, I like the basement. I like 32 years of teaching God's word in the old basement and trying to navigate the tables around the poles that are in the center of the room. I like memories that I have of the old building that used to sit where our basketball court is, where I sat on the floor with a half a dozen little kids at my feet and got to lead them to Christ. And they gave their hearts to the Lord. Some of them are now adults here with their own children. I like everything about this campus. I like the memories of building the ramp or purchasing the house next door and renovating it, or buying the house across the street and turning it into a discipleship house. I like all of it. I like all the memories that are here. I like the memories. I like the memory of, of, of um, Patty Gunther sitting here in a little rocking chair with a book in her hand, reading the story to us of when Casey struck out. And Lauren Gunther played the part of Casey with his bat right here. I like those happy memories. In here, we've shed tears of joy when wonderful things have happened, when we've dedicated little babies to the Lord or children to the Lord. I'm also fond of the memories when we shared tears in this place, when we've had to say farewell to someone that we've grown to love and respect and appreciate, one of your loved ones, perhaps. All these memories through the years, memories of people looking out and seeing tears streaming down faces as we're singing, memories of people coming up front and saying, I need to get right with the Lord, memories of all these kinds of events, 32 years' worth. No wonder the place. And when I say the place, I really don't mean the wood and the mortar and the brick, do I? It's what all of this symbolizes, the work that God has done in binding us together and doing a work in our hearts. That's what it's really about. It's not the ring. It's what the ring symbolizes, Right? Well, this morning, I want to direct our attention to two momentous acts of worshipful giving. Now, if you've been around here long, you know I don't preach on giving. I don't preach on money, for that matter, very often, unless it finds itself in the text that we're moving through. Then I do. This morning, I want to direct your attention to two passages, one's in the Old Testament and one's in the New. And they are both momentous acts of sacrifice, of giving, and of worship. And I want you to see the first one in. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And just so you know, we're going to move right along rapidly. In fact, um, really, I think, um, Jan, we could probably put all of point one up there with the four points that go underneath it because I want to move along at a rapid clip. So as you can see, we're looking at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 20. And in this momentous chapter, we have the historic record of God honoring giving, worship, gratitude, and requests from the heart because God cares so much about the heart. You remember the story of David, right? Because this chapter is about King David. And David has gone from a shepherd boy who cared for his flocks on the day that the prophet Samuel came to the house of Jesse and Jesse was told that God had sent Samuel to anoint the next king who would replace Saul. And you remember the the story and the drama that unfolds. And Jesse begins to march his sons, one after another, after another, in front of the prophet Samuel, to decide, is this the one God is once anointed? And they went through what appeared to be all of Jesse's sons. Tall, strong, handsome, gifted. And Samuel each time said, no, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. And finally, Samuel said, Is that all of them? And Jesse said, Well, no, there's the youngest. He's out in the fields taking care of the flocks. And you remember the story, don't you? And from that story, we get the principle that uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And on that day, he looked upon the heart of David, didn't he? And Samuel anointed David, the youngest of them all, as the next king of Israel. And from what would be just the poorest of circumstances, working the fields, caring for flocks, all the way to, now listen to me, he, David. God took David from there all the way to, to what some scholars and historians believe David became so wealthy, so rich, and so blessed as the king of Israel that he owned personally one-tenth of the entire then-known world's wealth. One man, one-tenth of the wealth. And yet God was able to commit that to him for safekeeping and good stewardship. And we'll see what God does in David's heart in this chapter. So move with me. We're going to move rapidly, beginning at verse 1. We'll read the opening nine verses. God-honoring giving from the heart. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability I have provided for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, inlaid stones, stones of antimony and stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance moreover in my delight in the house of my God the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over above all that I have already provided for the holy temple namely 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings, and gold for the things of gold, and silver for the things of silver, that is, for all the work done by the craftsman, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. And then the ruler's of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work, offered willingly. And for the service of the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of brass and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. What a momentous day this was in the life of the, the nation of Israel and what wealth was brought for building a temple, a place where God would be worshipped, where the people would gather. It's an incredible moving event. But what I wanted you to see there is how, that, how those verses ended. Why did they rejoice? They rejoiced in the Lord Because they gave with a whole heart. For God, it's all about the heart. And momentous God honoring worship that comes in the form of giving to Him is all about the heart. The heart that gives with gladness and generously to the Lord. Now, not only that, God is honored. When our worship is from the heart. Look at verses 10 through 13. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. And then listen to the way David's heart expression of worship just rises It just seems to ascend as he worships the Lord for his character, his nature, his attributes, the wonder and greatness of who he is. Verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. And then he says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful expression? Flowing out of the shepherd boy whom God took from the fields of Israel and brought to the place of king over Israel for 40 years he served. God, he's one of the few that God would give this epitaph to for David is what? A man after my own heart. Well, thirdly, God honoring giving from the heart pleases him. And God honoring worship from the heart pleases him. But God honoring gratitude, how does David think and see? How does he perceive these tons, tons of gold and silver and iron and bronze and wood and jewels to to make the temple in Israel a place that would take your breath away. And by the way, David never got to see it. Just like many of our giving when we give to the Lord, sometimes we give to something we never, will never see. And there are people who gave years ago. Think of all the people. Think of those leathery old timers who jacked this building up set it on wheels and dollies, and hauled it from the old Kettle Falls site all the way to here and set it on a foundation that they had built with their own hands. And now here we are all enjoying the works that followed them. But they never saw us. They did it for us, but they never met us. They worked and sweat and wore blisters on their hands they dismantled this building and took all the brick around the outside off and by hand cleaned every brick and brought them here and mixed mortar and placed the brick back on this building they did that and with what with what god had provided it's all his And that's the gratitude that flows from the heart in verse 14. Look at it. David says, but but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, Lord. And from your hand we have given to you. You get David's language? Lord, we took from your hand... And then we gave it to you. That's quite a wonderful system, isn't it? Every breath we draw, every beat of our heart, every resource we have, it's all his. All of it. It's never a question, Tony, of what you will do with what's yours. It's always a question of what will you do with what's God's. Because it's all his. Gratitude from the heart. Look at verse 15. For we are sojourners before you, tenants as all our fathers were. What's David saying? Well, just like Colleen Lewin this morning. She's been a sojourner in this world. She knew there was no lasting place here to sink her roots. She's a sojourner, a tenant here temporarily, until God calls her home. That's true of all of us. So David says, For we are sojourners before you, and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name it's all from your hand, and all is yours. Since I know, oh my God, that you try the heart. There's the heart again. You try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings Willingly to you. Hmm. God is honored when our worship of Him is expressed in giving, expressed in worship, and expressed in gratitude to Him because all comes from Him. And then finally, He's honored when our requests come from the heart and are pleasing to him. Look at verse 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people, and direct their heart to you. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, and to do them all, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. What a momentous act of worshipful giving, giving flowing from hearts of worship, hearts of thanksgiving, and a heart that requests God's wisdom for his son Solomon to lead the people of Israel. Hmm. Well, verse 28 of the chapter says, concerning David, Well, actually, look at verse 26. Now David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The period which he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned in Hebron seven years and in Jerusalem 33 years. Then he died in a ripe old age, full of days, riches and honor, and his son Solomon reigned in his place. David, you've done your part. Now be laid to rest until the resurrection. This man, after God's heart. Now we look at that story and we think, wow, that was some giving. And that temple was an incredible temple. Now before we get to the second momentous act of giving, I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's a personal story. And uh, by the way, before I tell the story, I'm pretty conservative in my understanding of God and his word. I, uh, I'm not a wild-eyed uh, sensationalist looking to wow you with stories. But I can tell you this story is a solemn truth. It happened in my living room. In fact, it happened in the old house, which tells you how far back we go, to the house that was the church's home over on 8th Street across from the Gold Hill Manor. Well, there was a couple who had come to church. They'd come right here to the sanctuary. And um, they had come for two or three weeks. And then there was a call uh, to give your lives to Christ And This couple came forward. I met with them. We had prayer together, and there was a faith expressed towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and they turned to the Lord in repentance. Well, Kathy and I said, well, we'd like to get to know you guys better, so we invited them over to our home one Sunday evening, and back then, we had uh, three little kids, two little kids. No, three, three little ones running around. And so we, uh, we had a bite to eat. We sent the kids downstairs to play. And we began to visit. And we were visiting over, I think, a piece of pie or some kind of dessert. And I said, well, tell me more about yourself. Tell me, tell me about you. Tell me about your background and so on. I was just trying to get to know this young man. And he started telling me his story. And it was moving along fine as he was telling the story. And then he said something that I don't know why, but the moment he said it, um, the, it's like the warning lights on the dashboard of my soul started blinking. And it was just a statement that he made, just an off-the-cuff phrase as he continued on to tell me his story. And what had happened was that his dad, to his pain and grief was uh, he was alcoholic all his life and given to bouts of depression and he had gone to visit his dad out on the farm which I didn't know it had happened only a year before he started coming to church he went to visit his dad and his, he came to the farmhouse his mom had passed away years before and here was his dad and The house was just in shambles. It was unsanitary. The kitchen was, he'd run out of dishes. I mean, it was, you could just tell it was the home of somebody who lived in a bottle. And the young man said, Dad, this is no good. Listen, it's Friday afternoon. I have tomorrow off. I'm coming back tomorrow, and I'm going to clean this place up. And so he did. He went back. And as he pulled in and entered the house, he found his dad. And it was a traumatic scene for him because the dad had ended his life with a shotgun in the kitchen on the floor. That's as much as I'll say you have an imagination. So his own son had to find him, his dad who, though he struggled and had a hard time, he loved his dad. That was his dad. And he tells me this whole story. And then I said, well, boy, I'm so sorry to hear this, you know, and I, I was conciliatory and comforting. And, and I said, so, so what's in your future? What do you hope to do? What do you, get, what, what, you know, what's your dreams? And he said, well, he said, I, I'm working for such and such place, and I'm working my way up And I'm hoping to one day become this or this, unless, of course, I end up like my dad. And then he kept on talking. And it was that statement, unless I end up like my dad. And all of my flashing lights went off inside. And I thought, Lord, what does this mean? And so he went on telling his story. And when he was done, I said, I need to stop you for a second because I need to ask you a question. I said, what did you mean when you said, unless I end up like my dad? And as soon as I asked that question, he physically changed right in front of me. Now, like I said, I'm not given to sensationalism, and I don't know where your theology is, but I'll tell you what happened, and Kathy was sitting right next to me. I said to him, are you telling me that you have a belief after having trusted in Christ that, you're, that you may well take your own life? And he said, yes. Yes and i said to him young man that is a lie straight from hell and as soon as i said those words his head literally began to bob up and down and his eyes were rolled and of course you know i i really wasn't prepared for that A demon manifested itself right in my family room over pie and ice cream. And something rose up in me, and I just I just began to pray. And I said, I don't even remember exactly what I said, but I said, This will not stand. You are a liar, and I was no longer talking to him. I was talking to what was going on in him. And I said, you're a liar, and your lies are not going to have hold or sway over this young man's life. He now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have no power or control over him. And in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of him and go to wherever the Lord will send you. And he shuddered. His head bobbed up and down. And then he went limp. Kathy's eyes are about the size of uh, that clock back there. And he looked up. And his face changed. (laughs) And he smiled with tears running down his face. And he said, It's gone. It's gone. And uh, I said, well, let's just pray again and ask the Lord uh, to make sure that it stays that way. And so I prayed again, and uh, the peace of God just enveloped him. He knew he belonged to Christ. He knew he was now his, and that that transference of demonic power had come to him that day in the kitchen when he found his dad and he had inserted into him a lie that he was destined to follow his dad's footsteps. And the Lord set him free. Now, I have a couple reasons for sharing this story. Again, not because I'm trying to be sensational. This doesn't happen every other day, thankfully. But besides the fact that after they left that day, and Kathy came to me and said, oh, that was really interesting. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> I, said, I said, I didn't see it coming, Kath. It was just there. And it had, we, you know, what do you do in the present? You know, Jesus and his apostles never met a demon that they liked. And neither should we. And I know you don't realize it. Oftentimes I don't, but we've met plenty of them in our lifetime. Where do you think they all went? You think they're confined to the New Testament and after the canon was finished, they all went on vacation? Drive through the Browns District sometime in Spokane and see. Watch them walking about the sidewalk, shouting and mumbling to themselves and, of course, if you're a pop psychologist, you just throw that in the category of mental illness, and then you feel safe about it all. I don't, because sometimes it's a whole lot more. This was a young man, a hardworking, uh, conscientious, faithful young man holding down a job with a new wife and so on. He wasn't rolling in the gutter somewhere with cheap wine. But you can find the evil ones activity in the 17th floor of the, of the um, Amazon building where somebody's pouring over profit and losses, and that's their whole life. i got to make more. i got to have more. The evil ones at work there, too. He's a deceiver, and he uses lies. But the reason I'm telling this story is because Um, Right now, some 20 years later, do you know what that young man's doing now? Besides going on and following the Lord in his life, you know what he's doing right now? He has 12-hour shifts, if I remember right, and he sits before the finest technology that our military has. And he sits... In an office over outside of Seattle, and he guards the Pacific coastland from clear up into Canada all the way down to Northern California and several hundred miles out, and he constantly monitors it to protect us from invasion from hostile countries. That's what he does. Aren't you glad he's there doing that? I am. But out of gratitude, which it was, you know, we all know the Lord's the one who rescued him. But out of gratitude, he gave me a gift. And I want to pass it out. Trace, can you come and hand this? Just pass it around and just pass it from row to row and take a look at it. It was a gift. It's registered to the uh, American Historical Society. And what it is, is uh, an exact, authentic coin that, is, that was in the hand of that little widow who dropped the two mites into the treasury that day in the temple. So while that's being passed around and you glance at it, turn to Mark chapter 12 with me, and we're almost done. Mark chapter 12. In the 12th chapter of of Mark's gospel, I want us to have the context because, again, it's an issue of the heart. In verse 38 of Mark chapter 12, we read, In his teaching, speaking of Christ, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. And not only that, they devour widows' houses, and for appearances' sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation." That's the context. Now here's the story. And uh, if you look up on the screen, You can follow along with me in this next statement, if we could have that, Jan. Look up on the screen and follow with me. The beautiful and breathtaking temple was built under Solomon. It was rebuilt again under Nehemiah in the 6th century BC and again under Herod the Great. A thousand years later, the one for whom it was originally built Sat across from the place of offerings. It was just as momentous because God cares about the heart of worshipful giving. Look at verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, exactly like the one I'm passing around that was found by archaeologists in Israel, which amounted to about a cent. And calling his disciples to him, verse 43, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow... Put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And I have no doubt that she was honoring God that day because what she was expressing as she came to the temple was the giving that comes from the heart. Worship that comes from the heart. Thankfulness that comes from the heart. And no doubt some prayer requests. Lord, thank you. And please take care of me. Please watch over me. You've been so good to me all these years. Both of them, David as an old man ready to pass on, gave his mountain of wealth for the building of the temple. And this woman, in an act just as momentous, gave generously from her heart. And my assumption is that between 1 between, uh, Chronicles 29 and Mark uh, chapter 12, that You and me fall somewhere in between the giving that occurred in ancient Israel under David and the giving of this poor widow as she dropped two copper coins into the treasury. Lies in there. But you know what matters most of all? The heart. The heart. God wants us to worship him and give to him pray to him, and thank him, and make our requests from the heart. Amen? Amen. Has that made it around yet? Isn't that neat? To think that is, uh, that's a mite. The King James would have translated it, mite. It's just a small copper coin with a little stamp on it. Just like A thousand years from now, uh, digging around here, you'd probably find some pennies, wouldn't you? There's nothing magic about it. It's just kind of fascinating to see that that's what she dropped in the treasury. Why do we give to the Lord? Why do we give to our local church? There's no hook in this. There's no, you guys should know me better than that by now but I want us to honor the Lord. I doubt very seriously if David regretted that day, and I doubt very seriously if the, if the, old, if the old widow, the, the, the little old widow, if she doubted. Both were memorialized in Scripture. Why were they both? And why were their acts of worshipful giving synonymous on the same level? Because they gave from the heart. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, um, let's see. I think as that continues to be passed around, I think we're someone, either Dana or Rick, someone's going to come up and uh, lead us in prayer. To uh, And uh, I think we're going to have offering. I know that we were, we've been using the box. And you guys, we're, we're getting away from the box again because that was... A provision during pandemic so that we aren't all handling the same stuff and um, so uh, as of uh, this week that's the last of the box approach and we're going to go back to the worship of passing our plates and giving and helps us to remember too as we give uh, to the Lord so um, that's what I have for you this morning um, whoever's going to come up and share please do Thanks for letting me go four minutes over. I appreciate it.